the top of each notes, if you grab some notes, are the uh, underlying and evidencing verses that uh, tell us that all of Scripture is about Jesus and points to Jesus, that he shows the disciples uh, how they are to understand the Bible and what it teaches about him, and that we are to find historical context, but we are to, uh, in the greater sense, find how that Scripture teaches us about Jesus. Because without Christ, it's all meaningless words on some piece of paper. Okay, And I'll say that unhesit- unhesitantly because the Bible is nothing if you go to the Bible and you don't find Jesus. It's just words. So this morning we are going, last week we did the Red Sea. If you'll remember, we, uh, we talked about Moses and through the one man, the many were freed because uh, he uh, obeyed God and the waters parted and, and the Egyptians came through chasing them, but uh, he allowed the Israelites to come through and then crash the waves in on the Egyptians, wiping them out and taking away their enemy. And we said that Moses, that Jesus is the greater Moses, and Moses represented Jesus Christ, the one man who through him, uh, all the people uh, that were God's people were saved. And uh, we did that, and we pointed back to Christ. This week is a different story. Now, uh, there are so many stories in the Old Testament, I just get excited, and I start reading, and, and I'm like, which one do I do? Which one do I do? I know I'm going to do this one. No, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do that one. No, I'm going to do this one. And, and they're so exciting. I, I've really got to spend a lot of time in prayer to make sure that I preach what God wants me to preach and not just what's exciting to me. The story, one of the stories that I told my sons this week was the story of Benaiah. You, you ever heard of the stories of Benaiah? Anybody? Man, you guys need to read the Bible. (laughs) Benaiah was one of David's mighty men. Okay, I'm not telling that story today. I don't even know why I'm telling you this right now. But um, Benaiah was one of David's mighty men. He was a bad dude. I mean, you would not want to cross paths with Benaiah if you were not on his side. He didn't make it to the level of the three. David had his three that were just... You really did not want to cross them. But he did make it to a position beside the three and David's own bodyguard. And we told the story, and and Titus played uh, the Egyptian because the story of Benaiah is a short story. But the story of Benaiah goes like this. Uh, This man of God, through uh, faith and his giftedness in God, he slayed the lion down in the pit. He slayed uh, two uh, aerials. He slayed an Egyptian that was very good looking. And so I I, I told Titus, I was like, now you're going to be the Egyptian and, and Titus had a spear, and I said, now the Egyptian was really good looking, and Titus goes, <laughs> and, and Ezekiel, he was Benaiah, and Benaiah was an Israelite, and, and for the most part, is, Israelis, they're, they're shorter, you know, there's not, they're not really big, huge men, and so uh, Ezekiel played Benaiah, and they had so much fun reenacting the word of God. And they remember that today. And they talked about how Benaiah slayed the Egyptian and how he took his own weapon and killed him with it. Who did that? You see, what is Satan's weapon? Death. And how did Jesus defeat Satan? Death on a cross. When we look to the scriptures, when we dig into the scriptures, it is important for us to tell the stories. It is important for us to show people what the stories are about and what they include and exactly what happened. But we must get to Christ because if I tell my kids that you can do all things through Christ, 
through, through God. If you just believe in God, and if you just have faith, you'll be. No. You see, you can't be good enough by doing all the right things, by, by following the Bible's rules in order to overcome the world. No. No. That is not what the Bible teaches. That is not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that Jesus Christ overcame the world. And we overcome through his overcoming, you see. So we can tell all the good stories we want and give all the advice we want. But until you know Jesus Christ, you've been covered in the blood of the Lamb. His righteousness has been imparted or given to you. Then you have no place with the King of Kings. You have no place in the family of God. And you cannot overcome the world. Today I want to read you a story of Elijah. And this story is about Elijah and his meeting this widow woman. As a matter of fact, this story lands in the greater story of Elijah and his confrontation with King Ahab, who was a wicked, wicked king. Ahab was married to Jezebel, and everybody knows Jezebel. She was a wicked queen of Israel, and she had brought in uh, the worship of Baal to the Israelis, uh, to the Israelites. And, and, and they started to worship Baal, and it was a horrible time in Israel's past. And, and Elijah was the prophet at this time who God had called to come and confront Ahab about his sin. Now, at the beginning of uh, 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 1 Kings chapter 17, we get this uh, place where the story starts off as uh, Elijah coming to Ahab and he says, what you have done is very wicked and the Lord has pronounced judgment on you. It will not rain a drop until I say that it does. Now, Elijah is not God. I could preach a million different ways this Sunday on this text because it's so jam-packed of good stuff. One quick note. Elijah is not God. So when he says, it will not rain till I say so, what he is saying is, until the Lord clears it through the man of God, it will not come to fruition. Now, let me tell you this right here, and you'll see it later on in the text too. You do not realize, men and women of God, how much power you have. We walk around as if we are limp, as if we cannot do anything, as if we're impotent or, or, or empty of power, devoid of any real passion or power. But we walk in foolishness. You have power in your words. You have power in your touch. You have power in your presence. Not because of you, but because of he who dwells in you. He who dwells in you is greater than he who is in the world. Come on. Do we believe it or are we just saying it? Let's walk this out. You see, he tells Ahab, he says, to, to, for you to know that God, the, the God of Israel, Yahweh is real and that you need to repent, it will not rain a drop until I say so. So we enter into a drought and a famine that comes along with it because the food can't grow. The people can't hardly survive. There's a severe famine, and everyone's affected by it. everyone. The whole nation is near death. Even Elijah himself is affected by the famine. You see, when you come into a situation and you pray and you start to involve yourself in people's sins, when you start to involve yourself in ministry, you're going to be affected by that ministry. I promise you. I know. 
But what we see is that God takes care of the men and women of God who are faithful to do what he's called them to do. Now, I ain't even got to my text yet, but we see that Elijah, too, is affected by the famine, by the drought that he pronounced on the people because of what God had told him to pronounce. But then we see God calling him to say, okay, I want you to go down by the brook. I've commanded ravens to bring you food. God, I know it's going to get hard, brother, but God's commanded ravens to bring you food. You see, we're so afraid to step out because we think, what if, what if, what if? But God's like, no, I am. Now, we, we get into this famine part of the story, and everybody's about to die. It's a really bad situation. We know that it lasts at least three years. Three years, no rain, not a drop, not a drop. So we get to this place where Elijah is moving about doing what God has called him to do. And God calls him to a place and he goes to this place. And it's an odd story about how God goes about providing for the needs of Elijah. And that's what I want to read for you today. Open your Bibles if you're not going to open already. 1 Kings chapter 17. We're going to look at verses 8 through 24. And then we're going to break it down a little bit and have some fun with it. Listen to the word of the Lord. Verse 8. Then the word of the Lord came to him, that's Elijah, Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow there to feed you. So he arose and went to Zarephath, and when he came to the gate of the city, behold, a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, Bring me a little water in a vessel that I may drink. And as she was going to bring it, he called to her and said, a second time, he called to her and said, bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. And she said, as the Lord your God, check this out, do not miss this, wake up if you're asleep. And she said, uh, I lost my place. And she said, as the Lord your God lives, I have nothing baked, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. And now I am gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. The title of today's message is The Last Supper. She says, the man of God, the provider, the, the, the man carrying the word of God that is to be the source of life, comes into the city and asks this poor, lowly widow, says, can I have a drink of water? She says, yes, I'll get it. He says, also bring me food. She turns and looks at him and says, I don't have any food. I've got one meal left. I was actually about to cook it. Me and my son were going to eat it and then die. And Elijah said to her, do not fear. Do not fear. Go and do as you have said, but first, underline that word in your Bible if you don't care to write in your Bibles. But first, go and do as you have said, but first, make me a little cake of it. And bring it to me. And afterward, make something for yourself and your son. When I first read this years ago and even recently, I thought that is the most selfish thing I've ever heard of in my entire life. Oh, that's your last meal? You're going 
You're going to eat it and die? Can I have it? You know, I don't know about you. It drives me crazy. I'll tell you, when I was a little boy, is my mom in here this morning? Where's she at? Did I catch her? Oh, she's here somewhere. Somebody go get her. Hey, John. No, I'm just kidding. She might be doing something. When I was a little boy, my mom, it drove her nuts because every time we would go, not every time, but a lot of the times when we would go, we'd stop by a, a, a fast food place. We'd go through the drive through and she'd say, you want anything? No, I don't want anything. You sure you don't want anything? No, I don't want anything. Okay, because I'm going to get me something. Are you sure you don't want something? No, I don't want anything. I'm not hungry. Okay, I'm going to get me. Are you <laughs> No, I don't want anything. Okay. We go through the line. She gets the food. I can smell the food. I'm like, can I have a bite of that? She's like, no, I ask you. And that's what it was like, too. She got mad. I was always, I just want to buy it. She's like, I want the whole burger. How many of you, it's not a good burger unless it's a whole burger. You know what I'm saying? Well, I never understood that, but now I got kids. And right now I'm on this kick where I'm trying to do low carbs. And what I do is I buy these bags of frozen meatballs. Now everybody go, ooh. That's what my wife says every other day. And so I'll make me some food. Now it ain't got to be meatballs. It can be anything. I'll make me some food. And I will ask those boys. Now I've got three. I'll ask those boys, do you want anything to eat? No, I'm not hungry. Do you want me to make you some meatballs? No, I don't even like meatballs. I'm about to make me some meatballs. Do you want me to make you some meatballs to go along with my meatballs so that when we start eating, you can eat your meatballs and I will eat my meatballs? No, I don't want any. Okay. Microwave's counting down. I know what's about to happen. I get my meatballs out of the fridge, I mean the microwave, sit them down on the table, I get me some barbecue sauce, and I put some barbecue sauce on the plate to go with it. I pull my seat out, I sit down on my seat, I get my pork. Can I have one? No. No. Because I asked you if you wanted some meatballs. So I digress. Now, I go ahead and put four or five meatballs extra on the side just so I know. You see, Elijah says, look, you've got, you've got a cake. You're about to eat it and die. It's the last supper. Can I have it? At first glance, this seems very, very selfish. But what, when we get up under the text and we see what actually is going on here, we realize that God is never looking to take away from you. Somebody, Everybody should have said amen right there. If you was ever going to say, let me say it again. God is never, ever looking to take away from you. If God ever takes something out of your hand, it's so he can put more in it. Huh? You see, God, through Elijah, said, I want you to give to me so that I can give to you. Now, he said that here. You might not have heard it, but he did. Because he says, do not fear. Hey, there she is. Everybody say, hey, mama. <laughs> She said, I'm going to get you later. I was telling them about how we used to go to fast food restaurants, and I'd take a bite of your burger, and you couldn't stand it. You wanted your whole burger. You have to go back and listen to it. I'm not doing it all over again. But I told them, I said, don't worry about that. I know she's busy. She's busy. She's doing something for the church, for the kingdom of God. Praise the Lord. 
But this is where we are. God is asking this lady, she says, through the man of God, she's asking, she says, he says, I want you to give to me first. But what will result is a falling away of fear and fulfillment like you've never seen. You see, we're under the impression that God needs something from us. No, he don't. God is perfect in perfect relationship harmony. He didn't even need to make you. He got the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And they got it going on. Perfect love. No nagging. You know what the Bible says about nagging? It says, better for a man to live on the corner of the roof of his house than in the house with a nagging wife. I mean, I'm glad my wife don't do that. I mean, I know yours does, and you've told me about it. I can name names. Don't come at me, okay? doesn't need us. You see, God is looking to fulfill us. And little, but we have it in our minds that, oh, if I, how many times have you heard the men and women of God in the room who actually try to evangelize? Let me ask you, how many times have you invited somebody to church or talked to somebody about Jesus or shared the gospel and they say, well, I don't want to give up, bang, 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 and they name off all these things. I don't want to lose my friends. I like to do this. I like to drink. I like to smoke. I like to do whatever. I like, I like, I like, I like. I like. They don't get it. 1 Corinthians 2.14 says that spiritually things are spiritually discerned. Those who don't have the Spirit, they cannot understand the things of the Spirit. So we pray that God would change their heart to understand that God never intends to take away from you. Anything he takes away from you, it is so that he can give to you something greater. That ain't even in my notes. We're just going to go with it. We keep on reading here. And Elijah said to her, do not fear, go and do as you have said, but first make me a little cake of it and bring it to me, and afterward make something for yourself and your son. God first, God's man first, God's ministry first, God's kingdom first. For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, the jar of flour shall not be spent and the jug of oil shall not be emptied until the day that the Lord sends rain upon the earth. Give the little to me and receive the lot from him. That's what many of you don't understand about giving to the church. We had a budget meeting just the other day, and yes, we do have those here, like once a year. And we said, we've done all this stuff. There's like the church uh, invested like $388,000 last year, roughly. Isn't that good? That's what you gave. And it went out, huh? Yes. She said, not invested, really. Not a, no, it is. Every dime that you get here is an investment in the kingdom, whether it goes to pay staff, whether it goes to buy microphones, whether it goes to pay for Kidwell and Overflow, whether it goes to pave a parking lot or buy a bus, it's all an investment for the kingdom of God. That's what I meant by investment. But you see, what we want to do is we want to hold on to, because when we look at the budget, we see so much more that we could do if everyone would give as much as they could possibly give. Not reluctantly. If you don't want to give, let me say again for the thousandth time, don't give. But I'm telling you, you're only depriving yourself of a blessing. Now, this was never meant to be a money talk. I had no intentions. But let me tell you something right now. You grip your money, and you can't grip God at the same time. That's just true. It's not true because I said it. It's just true. Now, God will provide either way, so I'm not begging you for your money. But if you want to see God take the roof off, open up your hand. 
Not just money, time uh, in the word, time evangelizing, time in missions. Open up your hand. We see him going. He says, the jar of flour shall not be spent and the jug of oil shall not be emptied until the day that the Lord sends rain upon the earth. And she went and did as Elijah said. And she and, and, she and he and her household ate for many days. Ate for many days. The jar of flour was not spent, neither did the jug of oil become empty, according to the word of the Lord that he spoke by Elijah. Now listen up. i got to get through this whole text. Listen. After this, the son of the woman, the mistress of the house, became ill. And his illness was so severe that there was no breath left in him. He died. And she said to Elijah, listen to this. Now take what just happened. She was faithful and obedient. Her house was blessed. All her physical needs were met. And all of a sudden this strikes. <clears throat> she said to Elijah, what have you against me, O man of God? You have come to me to bring my sin to remembrance and to cause the death of my son. Now, if you don't know it, the prophet of God was the representation of God himself. So what she was saying is, is that God has caused my son to die in judgment. God has caused my son to die. She goes on. She says, uh, remember, and to cause the death of my son. And he said to her, give me your son. Give me your son. What are you holding on to and won't give to Jesus? He says, give me your son. And he took him from her arms and carried him up into the upper chamber where he lodged. And he laid him on his own bed. Oh, this is important. I don't know how much I'll be able to get to, but this is jam-packed, slam full. He laid him on his own bed and he cried to the Lord. He cried to the Lord. Oh, Lord, my God, have you brought calamity even upon the widow with whom I sojourned by killing her son? The man of God asked God, have you brought calamity on the woman by killing her son? Then he stretched himself upon the child three times. Do you think that's coincidence? Does anybody in the room think that's coincidence that he did it three times? He stretched himself upon the child three times and cried out to the Lord, O oh Lord my God, let this child's life, the same Hebrew word means soul or breath, let this child's soul, let his life come into him again. So we know the life was gone. The child was dead. This wasn't an accident. It wasn't a false declaration of death. He said, let the child's life come back into him again. And the Lord listened to the voice of Elijah. How many of you really believe God listens to your voice? You, specifically. You, specifically. He listens to your voice. He listens to us corporately, but he listens to you child of God, your voice, your single voice in the billions of people in the world, God hears your voice. What happens when he hears his voice? Then he stretched himself upon the child three times. He cried out to the Lord, oh Lord my God, let this child's life come into him again. And the Lord listened. It didn't even say he heard. How many of you women out there know there's a big difference between hearing and listening? There's a lot of uh, husband ribs going to be sore. Yeah. It says the Lord listened 
He took in the information and he processed it. This is fascinating. The omniscient, omnipresent, omnipotent God of the universe listened and processed Elijah's cry. Does that not blow anybody else's mind? He listened to the voice of Elijah, and the life of the child came into him again, and he revived. And Elijah took the child and brought him down from the upper chamber into the house and delivered him into his mother. And Elijah said, See, your son lives. And the woman said to Elijah, Now catch this. The woman said to Elijah, Now I know. Now I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord in your mouth is truth. Isn't that a great story? Isn't that a great story? That's the word of God. Every part of that happened, literally, just like that. And you say, okay, that's a great story, but what am I to get out of this story? Because this was years before Christ, much less before me. Well, as we see this story, I brought a lot of stuff out just as we walked through that I couldn't uh, bypass, didn't have intentions on doing that. But I just want to show you three things. We'll walk through them quickly about the story and about why the story is significant to me and to you today and what we can learn from it and apply to our lives. The first thing I want to show you is, is that God commanded the widow to give away everything for him. Now, we touched on this a little bit, but I want to draw out just a few aspects of it. And the one thing I want to point out right off is, who did he ask to give everything? Who was it that he asked? Who? The widow. What do we know about widows? That they were married and they were provided for, but now their husbands are dead and they are not provided for. And widows in general are more poor and impoverished than non-widows in the first place. Even in our culture, those who uh, have been married and their husbands passed away, it is harder for them to make an income that would suffice than it is for someone else. Now, there uh, there are cases that that's not true. But in this day, in this culture, the historical context of this verse is that women were absolutely not even on the radar. You weren't allowed to speak in public. You weren't allowed to have jobs like men. The woman was to stay silent. They were second-class citizens, to say the very least. And so what we see here is God commanding the very least of these to do God's work. Now, how many lessons could we learn from that? How many of you, oh, I can't do anything for God because are you a widow in the days of Israelite history? If this woman right here can make a way for the kingdom of God to advance and it lead eventually to the birth of the Savior, the Messiah, why can't you? We make so many excuses. You see, he commanded the widow to give away everything. You see, no one gets off the hook of obedience because of personal situation, desire, or need. This woman had a legitimate reason to look and say, I don't have anything to give you. He said, what about that cake right over there? I'm about to eat that and die. 
How many of you, God's saying, I want you to blank, and you're like, well, I, don't, I want you to give in order to fund someone on the mission trip. But Lord, that takes $450, and I've only got 10 grand. Let's walk away from the money issue, okay? Because some of you just really love your money, and you just almost shut me out because I'm talking about money. Lord, I know that you want me to go over to the apartment complex. Lord, I know you want me to go over to the troubled street. Lord, I know you want me to go over to the funeral, the, uh, the, the, oh, Lord, have mercy on us. The hospice house. I know you want me to go over to the nursing home. I know you want me to go and give of myself and give of my energy. But Lord, I only have one day off a week. But Lord, I only have this personality, and that's not really my person. But Lord, but Lord, you have no excuse, and neither do I. What if... What if every single one of us in the room stopped making excuses and started moving forward for the kingdom of God? Not only would the world be effectively changed for the kingdom of God, but you would finally be whole in Jesus Christ. You see, mission is not just for the people who you are missioning. It is for you. For apart from doing the work of God, you cannot be complete. Jesus Christ said to the disciples at the well, when they had went into the world, into the city, into whatever you want to get physical bread to bring it back, he looks at them and he says, I don't need that food. I have food that you know not of. They look at him and say, or look at each other rather, and they say, did somebody bring him something to eat when we wasn't here? He says, no. What was he talking about? What filled him up? What fulfilled him? What was sustaining him? His ministry to the woman at the well. It's the only thing that he had done. We need mission. You see, he had commanded the widow, the least, the very least of these. And I want you to show something else. Now, I'm going to skip a little bit of this, but I want to, I want to show you one more thing. For all of you who are Christians... And maybe you're true Christians, but you don't do anything. First of all, I'd say, are you really Christians? You need to ask that question for real, because the tree will be known by the fruit that it bears. But some of us are just lazy and slow. So maybe you are a true Christian, okay? Maybe you are, and you're just lazy and slow. Slothful, as Robert said this morning. It's easy to start something. It's harder to complete something. Many of us have good intentions, and we will start reading our Bibles, but it's harder to complete it. We'll start to give regularly to build the kingdom and build the church, but a bill comes. A need arises, and you flounder on your commitment to the Lord. We'll start to tell our stories kids stories about Jesus and when it's convenient we'll do that when it's when it's okay and it feels good we'll do that but at the first sign of trouble we fall away like tumbleweeds blown around by the wind the Bible speaks of that as well you see listen to the story in this section right here in verse 10 it says so he arose and he went, and behold, a widow was there gathering sticks, and he called to her and said, Bring me a little water and a vessel that I may drink. 
Bring me some water. She didn't really have a problem with this. At least it doesn't say so in the text. It says, and as she was going to bring it, so she just took off. She didn't say a word. She, you know, okay. She goes. She starts. And as she was going, he also says, bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. And she said, as the Lord your God lives. And she says, I can't do that. You see, many of us will say, Lord, I will give you this much, but I cannot give you this much. Many of us, we withhold blessing from our lives because we will only give God half of what he's called for us to give. We want to give him our spirit, but we don't want to give him our mind or our strength. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your mind, with all of your strength. With everything that you've got, you are to love the Lord. But many of us will say, I will give you my soul because I don't want to spend eternity in hell. I want to go to heaven when I die. So I'll give you my soul. I'll give you my heart. But I'm going to keep the physical over here with me. I'm going to keep my mind over here. I want to, I want to concentrate my mind on television. I want to laugh a lot. I want to go and do my thing. I want to, I want to, I want to play all the time. I want, to, I want to have hobbies. I don't want to do all of that stuff. That's too much like work. But God's saying, I want it all. I want it all, not half. Now, what I don't want you to hear me saying is, is that you can never have fun anymore. You can never do this. You can never, 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 never. Christ is not like that either. We see that in the text where we see him say, listen, do not fear. Go and do as you have said. Go ahead and do as you have said, but first. You see, obedience to God does not negate personal need or desire it only prioritizes it. Did you get that? Obedience to God does not negate everything that you'd like to do. You don't have to, you know, vow to never get married or vow to, to never do this and to never do that. Paul addresses that in the New Testament where he says some of you have become very zealous and almost a slave to asceticism where you forbid marriage and forbid all kind of good foods and forbid all these things. No, that's not what God's saying either. He's saying, look, it's fine. Have some fun. Live in the world. That's fine. But make sure I'm first. Let me be the foundation of everything that you do. If you give out the abundance that God has given you and you have given to the Lord and you feel confident in that, then go buy you a toy. That's okay. Don't buy too many, though. That money could be used, right? And my toes are hurting because I'm going to keep stepping on them. Don't give halfway. Give everything to the Lord. The second is obedience does not guarantee the absence of calamity. And I'm going to move through this one really quick because I want to finish up. As a matter of fact, the band can go ahead and start to move this way. So many times you hear these uh, prosperity gospels that say things like this. If you love God and if you have faith, if Christ uh, is your Savior, then you will not uh, have any needs. You will be rich. You will not ever get sick. And you will not ever experience any calamity whatsoever. If you only have enough faith. These same people would say that uh, retribution theology, which is reaping and sowing type idea, is that it's hard and fast across the board. 
And therefore, they would come to someone who is sick and they would say, the reason you are sick is that you have sin in your life. The reason that you are poor is because of your sin. The reason uh, that you have these calamities in your life is for A, B, and C. But we know from Scripture that sometimes it rains on the just and the unjust. Sometimes life happens, right? The, the, the Pharisees came and they asked Jesus about a man who was blind. They would say, why is this man blind? Was it his sins or was it the sins of his parents? Jesus said, no, wasn't either. But it was simply so that the power of God might be displayed in him. So we get to the second part of the story, and this widow has been amazingly obedient. Maybe you're in here, and you're struggling right now, and you're saying, God, I want to give. I know you're calling me to, maybe it's to, to give more faithfully, monetarily to the church, to give more money to the church. Maybe it's that he's calling you to go on mission somewhere. Maybe you are to be more faithful, to get into the Word of God every day. Maybe it's that you need to be more faithful to get on your face before God in the act of prayer and communication with God. Maybe it's that you are to just to stop doing the things of the Word and actually start living for Jesus. Maybe some of you feel so empty and spent and busted and you don't know why because you have chased after the things that you think fulfill you, which is money or relationship or all of these different things. You try and you try and you try and you try and there seems to be this void. And God is saying, ironically, if you would let those things that you think fulfill you, if you would let them go, that's when you would be fulfilled. That's backwards. That's upside down kingdom thinking, isn't it? I need all of these things in order to fulfill me. And Jesus has said, actually, it's exactly opposite. You need to be empty of these things and filled up with me. You see, in the story, she gives and gives and gives and uh, right up to the very point to where she's about to die. But God shows up faithfully in her life. And he blesses her physically with all of her physical needs. And then all of a sudden, she thinks things are going good. And then her son up and dies. And she cries out. She says, why have you come upon me to judge me in my sin and to cause my son to die? And the man of God scoops up her son, takes him, lays prostrate on him, stretches out over him, covers over him. that comes what I think is her true recognition of who God really was. You see, our physical needs can be met, but that doesn't transform our lives. Our physical needs can be met, but you know what oftentimes that leads to? It leads to a worship of the creation rather than the creator. You see, sometimes... It's the calamity that is needed in your life to show you that the things you thought would fulfill you would not. Sometimes it is a tearing of the way. It's a tearing away of the physical to reveal the need for the spiritual. This morning in our country, there's all kinds of division. And all kinds of different thought processes on how to solve it. More programs, more speeches, more laws, 
all of these things, which maybe they'll help. But I'm going to tell you right now, the only thing that will truly set us free from this hatred, this division, this murderous attitude is Jesus Christ. Now, as we move into the last and final part of the sermon, I want to show you something out of this because I've shown you that if you trust God, even in the hard times, he'll remain faithful physically and you'll never go without. Your needs will be met. He'll never leave you or forsake you. I've showed you too that just because you're obedient doesn't mean that calamity won't come. It will come, but that God's got a greater purpose to the calamity. That you can trust him even in the darkest of days. And, and maybe, just maybe, that calamity was allowed to happen in your life to lead you to something better. We know that that's not even a maybe. Because we know that Romans chapter 8, right? That all things work together for the greater good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. We know this. You see, there's an underlying story under the story. And I want to show you that not just in one aspect, but in more aspects that I could even encounter. You see, when we read this story, we want to put ourselves in the story, right? If you're like me, I do. I want to say, well, well, who do I relate to? What's God teaching me? Which one of the characters am I? I always do that. You know, and as, and as a preacher, as a, as a vision pastor here at the well, I think, well, maybe I'm Elijah. Maybe I'm the one speaking the word of God, you know? I'm the one that's speaking out the words of life, and, and uh, maybe that's me. Maybe I can gain a little knowledge that way. I always say, well, maybe, maybe I'm the widow. Maybe I'm the widow, and, and maybe I, the, 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 the advice that I need to get from this is that I don't need to give halfway. I need to give all the way, and I need to trust. I, read, I, 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 I need to really trust God. I need to believe him that he's not looking to take anything from me, and anything he's trying to take from me, it's only so that he can give me something else. I can learn some lessons there. But the ultimate lesson is, is that Jesus Christ is both Elijah and the widow and the son. You see, Jesus Christ is the man of God who, though he existed in the form of a man, counted equality with God, not something to be grasped, but he emptied himself, made himself devoid of, of many of his godly attributes, even to the point of becoming one of us. Jesus Christ is the man of God who demands that we give everything to him. Just like Elijah, you see. God, Jesus Christ says that I do not want half. I do not want a third. I don't want 98%. I want it all. There is no such thing as a halfway Christian. In Revelation, it says that I wish that you were either hot or cold, but because you're lukewarm, I'm going to vomit you out of my mouth. Jesus wants it all. Just like Elijah, Jesus wants it all. This is pointing forward to the fact that you will either be covered in the blood of God or you won't. You'll either be covered in his redemption and his righteousness or you won't. God is also the widow. You see, we are demanded to be obedient. And unless we are perfectly obedient, we'll be cut off from the land of the living. We'll be cast into utter darkness. Did you know that? If you want to go to heaven, you've got to be perfect from the day you're born to the day you die. Did you know that? How many of you knew that? You think I'm kidding? No, I'm not. 
If you want to get into heaven, you've got to be perfect. You've got to. Perfectly obedient. And God is demanding that you be perfectly obedient. He is demanding that you give everything. And if you don't give everything, every thought, every thought, because we know that you have seen it written, thou shalt not commit murder. But I say unto you that any man who hates his brother in his heart has already committed murder. Solomon, are you a murderer? Yes, you are. So am I. But God demands perfect obedience, perfect righteousness to get into his heaven. Just like he demanded perfect obedience from the widow. You see, but we can't. How many of you are perfect? You see, we can't be perfect. But Jesus Christ came and he did what the widow was to do. Jesus Christ was perfectly obedient his entire life. Though he was tempted in every way as we are, yet he did not sin. You see, Jesus Christ was the one that was perfectly obedient. He was perfectly righteous. He did not deserve death in the least. You see, the widow did what she was supposed to do. So he said, give, she gave. And what happened? Calamity came. The death of her son. Come on. You gotta see. You see, Jesus Christ was perfectly obedient. Romans says that the wages of sin is death. That we all, like sheep, have gone astray. We all have sinned. The wages of sin is death. You see, we deserve hell. We deserve to die, but Jesus didn't. He obeyed in every way. And just like the lady looked on Elijah and said, why has this happened to me? Why has this happened to me? Jesus Christ looked at the Father and said, why, why, my God, have you forsaken me? Oh, sin. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was cut off from the land of the living that the kingdom of heaven might advance. He went into the grave for three days. another medium Jesus Christ his resurrection was a self resurrection he raised himself from the dead utterly vindicating him as the God man now as we all stand to our feet and as we dim the lights a little bit I want you to ask a few questions Where do you fit in in this story? Because you're there too. Are you the widow that needs to give it all? Are you Elijah that needs to call people to the forefront to give like they are to give? Are you the son who is dead and needs to be raised to life? I say unto you that Christ is all. Christ is the one who has called you to go you therefore into the world and, and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. Jesus Christ is the one who was perfectly obedient 
so that the kingdom of heaven might advance and so that you might be raised from the dead. You see, Jesus Christ is the solution. He is the beginning, the middle, and the end. He is the Alpha and the Omega. He is calling you to get busy. He is calling you to step out and to trust that He will provide everything that you need from beginning to end. As we do this last worship song, the altar is open, the invitation is out. It's time for us to stop being halfway. It's time for you to be raised to the newness of life. Who in this place needs to be born again, raised from the dead? Who in this place have put your trust in money and things so long now that you don't even know what it means not to worry. Some of you are eat up with worry like crazy. You just don't know what to do, where to go, where to turn. I'm telling you where to turn. This great God who says, Has no, have no fear. Will you stand there and do nothing? Or will you come to Him, whether there or here, wherever it is? God is omnipresent. He's do what God has called you to do. Do business with Him. Do business with Him. Let's worship.